0: Engaging Leader, Episode 197, Leading a Healing Organization, featuring Michael Gelb. Brought to you by the team at Workforce Communication. Find out more at workforcecommunication.com. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. In past episodes of the Engaging Leader Podcast, we've often discussed why an organization needs to have a compelling purpose and vision beyond just making money. There are so many reasons why that's not just the right thing to do, but it's also smart business. For example, having a purpose that excites your people and your customers and investors, well, all that leads to things like strong employee engagement as well as a powerful employer brand. And all of that makes it much easier to attract and retain top talent. Now, I am convinced, I'm positive, that our guest today is going to expand your mind for what your company's purpose could be. For example, what if your company not only made profits, but was also the key to fixing seemingly unsolvable problems? For example, environmental issues, obesity, opioid addiction, rising rates of anxiety and depression and suicide, or even the gaps between rich and poor, left and right. What if there was a company whose CEO said, hey, let's pay all our people as much as possible. What if your company treated your family as stakeholders, and made it a priority to ensure that you can be fully present for them. And what if these businesses were more profitable and prosperous than their industry peers? Well, such businesses really do exist. Today, my guest is the organizational innovation expert, Michael Gelb. Michael and his co-author, Dr. Raj Sasodia, a pioneer of the conscious capitalism movement, have written the new book, the healing organization, awakening the conscience of business to help save the world. Michael has written 16 previous books on the application of genius thinking to personal and organizational development. His books have been translated into 25 languages and have sold more than 1 million copies. Today, Michael and I will talk about some real life examples of companies that could be called a healing organization. And we'll discuss some ideas for not only CEOs, but also aspiring leaders to prioritize the welfare of all of their stakeholders. Michael Galb, welcome to Engaging Leader. Great to be with you. Michael, tell us the story of how you came to write this book.
1: Well, it's kind of like asking, tell us the story of your whole life. <laughs> <laughs> Just because it is the culmination of everything I've been studying, learning, working towards. But the more simple answer is that in the late 90s, I was invited to teach at the executive MBA program at George Mason University. And the director of that program was Professor Raj Sasodian. We collaborated for a while. I taught a series of seminars. People liked them. Raj and I became friends. So about Eight years after that, he sent me a copy of the manuscript of his breakthrough book called Firms of Endearment, which really was the first book to make solid business school type case studies showing that companies that treat all stakeholders with care will outperform those who just focus on profit first. This evolved into conscious capitalism and I was invited to be the master of ceremonies of the first conscious capitalism CEO summit and I spoke at their annual conferences and Raj and I said, we ought to write a book together because, oh yeah, I left out. he was also, he'd been very inspired by my book on how to think like Leonardo da Vinci and innovate like Edison and some of my other writings. So we really nurtured this idea what's what is it we really how can we help people the most who are interested in conscious leadership who understand this idea of stakeholder integration who know that a company needs a higher purpose and th- this idea emerged that you can you can take all that and take it to another level of of really focusing your enterprise on, on attempting to remediate, to regenerate uh, many of our greatest issues in our world today. So that's how, it, that's how it evolved, and here we are.
0: I was wondering if the story there, it was, was Firms of Endearment sort of the manifesto for conscious capitalism, and then Healing Organization is sort of, okay, here we are X years later with some hard Store, some great stories and data to show the proof and here are the principles? Or how would you tell the story?
1: Uh, yeah, I would say that there's more to it than that just because you know, this is a mega trend. Okay. You followed the recent announcement by the Business Roundtable that the doctrine of shareholder primacy has outlived its usefulness. Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, the world's biggest asset manager, in his 2019 letter to shareholders... Says you need to have a higher purpose if you want us to invest in you. He said the world is changing and we can't count on government or nonprofits to deal with these critical issues. It has to be business taking the lead. And for the first time, we have a generation, the millennials, and it's only going to get even more so as we get to the next generation. Who put the notion of helping with these issues, with societal issues, as the primary purpose of business beyond making a profit. Because, you know, look, they get that if there's no planet, there is no planet B. If we destroy our environment, what's the point? You know, the winner of the rat race is still a rat. <laughs> <laughs> so so this, is, this is a movement that's expressed in things like the B Corp movement and the social venture network. It was John Mackey from Whole Foods who sought out Raj after he read Firms of Endearment. And together, they really formulated the basis of the conscious capitalism movement. And then they wrote the book together called Conscious Capitalism. So the healing organization, Raj and I view the healing organization as the next evolution of what was begun with Firms of Endearment and conscious capitalism was part of this big mega trend.
0: And what would your definition be of the healing organization?
1: It's an organization whose fundamental purpose is to meet real human needs, to alleviate suffering, to elevate joy while promoting healthy growth. So, what, I'll give you here's a story from the book. There, this is this is just it's current. I literally I just got this email yesterday. <laughs> so, one of the companies in the book is Hillman Consulting and they arose out of one of out of a form of healing. It was healing corruption. Because the founder, Chris Hillman, was a young engineer working for a company that remediates, supposedly remediates toxins and asbestos. And he was sent to a school to check out the school for asbestos levels and he finds unhealthy levels. And effectively he gets offered a payoff to change his report. You know, he's a good person. He's a person of conscience. And he says, I'm not doctoring this report and taking a bribe and putting the lives of school children at risk. So he signs from that company and he starts Hillman Consulting, mm. which you know, that's about 30 years ago. And it's now a national firm. So about three years ago, he engaged me to work with them because he was interested in taking all this to another level. So first, he got engaged with conscious capitalism, and he sent his leadership team down to the conscious capitalism conference. And we worked on reorienting the vision, mission, and values of the company to to take their commitment to make a difference through what they do to a higher level. So as the healing organization concept evolved, and as we wrote the book, we profiled Chris and Hillman in the book. It held everybody accountable to a higher, even higher standard. And last January. Raj Sasodia and I co led the strategic planning meeting for Hillman. And Chris stood up in front of senior people in his company and said, You know, we, we are a healing organization. We, we put the welfare of humans before profit. And we're going to be even more creative and more focused on how we can make a difference in everything we do. Now, as this has all been happening, they have record profits. They were named one of America's best places to work. They're attracting the best people, which was what we came up with as their first strategic priority when I did the first session with them three years ago because people want to work for this kind of company. But check this out. So this is the email I got yesterday. At have this uh, a brilliant woman who just moved out to Northern California to, to start their Northern California office. And she wrote to me yesterday and she said, I just finished reading The Healing Organization. She said I felt like you wrote this book for me. She said because I was going to a meeting downtown San Francisco with a friend who's also one of our uh, partners in business here. She said, and I was just so saddened by the number of homeless people I saw. I've never seen so many homeless people everywhere I went. And she said, you know, I realize. We're going to take the Northern California office of Hillman and we are going to adopt this issue and we are going to leverage all of our talents, all of our abilities to solve this problem in this region. And you know, just, and uh, I, you know, and I wrote back to her, I said, you know, we wrote this book for you because <laughs> she's, here's somebody who's already has an awakened conscience, already part of a conscious business but realizing that the urgency uh, uh, and the severity of suffering in our world today calls upon good people to do great things. Now, on the other hand, there are all kinds of companies that we profile in the book where people were kind of clueless and just doing business as usual. You know, they got MBAs from good schools and they went out and they're just optimizing shareholder return and assuming that that'll work out fine for everybody. And then waking up to the fact that that just doesn't work anymore, that the, the issues we have on so many levels. And that's what, you know, look, the business roundtable doesn't make an announcement like the one they made unless they are feeling the heat and they're feeling the heat from so many places. It has to be your community. It ha- and you know, the other, here's the other thing we learned. What do all these companies have in common? They all really put their employees first. They go to wonderful lengths to put their people in a position to help the customers, the vendors, and ultimately, they're more profitable. They really do help the shareholders.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was interested to to what you would say about what is the role of profit then? It it, it seems like you're not saying profit isn't important, that profit's not a social good as well.
1: Oh, it is. It is. I mean, don't leave home without it. (laughs) (laughs) So we have this wonderful nine-year-old Akita. His name is Sumo. And when it's hot out, he just kind of sits there and he breathes. And he'll just sit there breathing. And my wife and I joke, we say, the purpose of Sumo's life, it just seems to be breathing. <laughs> <laughs> then he'll look at you with this look that you just can't even believe, and, and my wife gives him a big hug, and it's really clear that Sumo has a higher purpose, <laughs> which, which is love. Well, money, profit, is like breathing for business. You know, It sustains the functioning of the business, and it's essential but it's absurd to say that it's the purpose. You know, the purpose purpose of your life and my life isn't breathing. It isn't produce red corpuscles or digest food. Uh, that sustains our functioning so we can fulfill a higher purpose. And what's well, the same thing with, with, with business. So, and we'll go even further and say, it's the responsibility of business to make a profit, to be profitable. Uh, that Adam Smith was right. Uh, the wealth of nations profitability and and capitalism drives human welfare it just has to be balanced with empathy and care and concern and that's what adam smith made very clear before he wrote the wealth of nations he he wrote the theory of moral sentiments where he where he said you really must balance empathy and care and awareness of the welfare of all members of society with the drive for profit.
0: Now, the story of Hillman Consulting is, is one where the company from the very beginning was founded with a certain conscious compass. But you've got a lot of other stories in the book that are about a transformation. One of my favorites is DT Energy because it happens to be a, a client of, of, of our team at Workforce Communication. Um, but can you share that story with us?
1: Sure. Well, uh, I love them. Uh, we call them, in, in, in the book, we call them the utility of love. Because <laughs> it's funny. I mean, if you think, you know, most people think about utility companies, and you don't think about love, <laughs>
0: yeah, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I, I won't mention the name of the company, but I, I worked. Uh, I did a seminar. I wrote this book called "Innovate Like Edison." It came out two thousand eight or something, and I got invited by a major utility company that was named after Edison, as many of them were, since he pretty much invented a lot of this. I got invited to talk about innovation, and the, the senior executive who invited me called me aside before he introduced me, he said, well, we're really glad you're here. He said, because the last time we had any innovation was when Edison was here. <laughs> <laughs> but so you, know, you got to figure, I mean, DTE Energy, Jerry Anderson takes over, and he's a very thoughtful guy, and he just, he just really reflects, and he says, let's, he did a 360, he did a lot of, Surveys of the company, survey the stakeholders, and he asked you know a very simple question: Are we are we a great company? Are we even a really good company? And the answer was was shocking to him. It was not really, you know, we're we're not performing that well even as just in terms of profit. Uh, Our employees aren't that happy, and our customers aren't that happy. So he set about saying, you know, I want this to be a great company. And he came, he found his way to the ideas of continuous improvement. And the first principle of continuous improvement is put people People first. first. So he really, you know, he really made a commitment to this. He got his whole senior team engaged and involved in this. And then the economy crashes Mm. 2008, 2009. And the finance department and the accountants come to him and say, we have to cut thousands and thousands of jobs. We're going to lose. We're in danger of becoming a junk utility. So, he had just sent out all the stuff about put people first and, and center. And they're saying, get rid of a lot of our people. <laughs> you know, and I, I've, I've worked with companies over the years, big companies when, when there was a crunch and they, they say, they always have in their values, we put people first. And then there's a crunch or that, my other favorite one is they say, uh, people are our most precious resource. And then after they fire 30% of the workforce or restructure them or outsource it or whatever they, fancy word they call it, yeah, they are precious because there's few of them left. <laughs> but what I love about Jerry's story is you know, a genuine awakening, a genuine crisis of conscience and saying, no, we have to be true to this, to what we've pledged ourselves to. And to in, in, in me, meet- I would have loved to have been at this meeting. I mean, he got the whole com- thousand people, he got them together, and he basically said, look, this is what we've been advised to do, uh, he said but it's the last last thing it's the last lever i will pull we'll do whatever it takes he said but what it takes is you what it takes is you working with more creativity more energy more passion more teamwork more collaboration than ever before and people rose rose to the challenge i mean it's just it's so it's amazing what people will do if you Give them the opportunity to use the fullness of their human potential. So they turned the company around in remarkably short time. I mean, they were kind of shocked at how quickly they got out from under and were, were profitable and doing really well. The most beautiful thing, the most heart-inspiring element of the story of DTE Energy, is as they began to thrive, the people in the company began sharing with Jerry and he felt the same thing. You know, we're now doing okay, but Detroit is really hurting. How can we help heal our community? So DTE became a leader and partnered with many other uh, organizations in the area to help revitalize Detroit. And these efforts continue to this day. So it's it's a really, and Jerry's going to be, a, in a couple of weeks, I'm, I'm Co-chairing the Conscious Capitalism CEO Summit, and he's he's one of our featured speakers.
0: It is amazing that that does continue to this day. I, and I just noticed on the recent uh, Indeed.com list of top-rated workplaces that DTE Energy is is near the top of that list, and it's pretty amazing for a utility company based in Detroit, Michigan.
1: <laughs> so that's the thing: is this whatever the industry wherever you are in the world, this, this people say, well, that's what you know, I'm not Jerry Anderson, I'm not the CEO, I'm not the how can I be part of this if I'm a mid-level person, or if I'm just starting out in my career, or if I'm an entrepreneur? But one of the things we know is emotions are contagious for better or for worse. So what do you want to catch and what do you want to spread? And how do you consciously spread caring, higher purpose? Loving kindness and healing, all the things that most humans would say, yeah, those are my values. But then they feel, well, I can't, you know, I have to do that at church on Sunday or by volunteering for charity uh, on my own time. But if people ask and live with the question, how do we transform the workplace so that it's a place of healing, that it's a place of joy? That's how it really happens.
0: I, I think you've described in the book the three principles that define a healing organization. Can you share those with us?
1: Oh, I mean, so. What I, what I really like to share with you is the healing oath. Okay. Because all of what we just talked about, and it relates to the three principles. Because we've already, one of the principles is put your employees first. The other is have a healing, have a higher purpose. And the other one is to uh, not collude with or enable evil. Don't be evil. <laughs> what we've done is we crafted what we call the healing oath. And, you know, if you, if you, uh, you go to medical school, you become a doctor, you take the Hippocratic oath. And the first thing you swear in the Hippocratic Oath is, in Latin, it's primum non nocere, which means first do no harm. So that's the first principle of the healing oath, is first do no harm with your business. I was talking to my friend who's a Latin scholar who helps me with you know craft the Latin, and I said, for people for whom that's a stretch, how could we say first do less harm? <laughs> <laughs> so for those people, it's Primum nil nocere. <laughs> but the healing oath in the book is primum non nocere. The second is malus radicare, means root out evil. So don't collude with or enable enable evil. And this means you know to be an everyday hero. Because you know, what is evil? It, it's really hurting others for your own gain, knowingly. What is heroism? It is standing up to that in a way that might put your own gain uh, in harm's way. It's really simple, so we need, we need everyday heroes. And then the third one is amor, vincit, omnia, which also happened to have been Leonardo da Vinci's personal motto, and it means operate from love. Hmm. Uh, uh, love conquers all. Amor, love, vincit, conquers, omnia, everything. Love conquers all, so we say always operate from, so what if we operated our businesses from love, and joy and kindness instead of fear and greed and selfishness. I mean, how much of a better world? And this, you know, that sounds, well, that's not, yeah, it's really possible you'll make more money. Like you said, people want to work for DTE. It's at the top of the the list of of where people want to work if they're interested in that kind of industry. People want to work for for Hillman Consulting. People want to work for uh, Union Square Hospitality Group. They want to work for Kind Snacks. They want to work for Menlo Innovations. They want to work for Eileen Fisher. These people don't have problem with turnover. They have problem because they have waiting lists of people who want to work for them. uh, Because why would you not want to work in heaven instead of hell?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they sound lofty, but I think a lot of people hearing that for the first time would think, well, that sounds easy. But I can immediately think of different scenarios that I've been in or that friends have been in at all levels of the company, CEO, mid-level, lower level where you, you, you're making decisions, am I going to protect myself uh, or am I going to stick my neck out and, and do the right thing and, and do it in a loving way? You don't necessarily have to be a jerk about it, but living those out, that's a, that's a high challenge.
1: Well, yeah, this is, you know, this is, it's also, it really, you know, it really helps us where everything else that I've ever taught comes into play. I've, taught, I've written a lot, taught a lot about creativity, how to think like Leonardo da Vinci, creativity on demand, your genius. Why? Because you have to be something of a genius to figure out how to navigate these challenges. My last book was called The Art of Connection, Seven Relationship Building Skills Every Leader Needs Now, because it's great to have a great idea, but how do you connect with other people? How do you negotiate? How do you come up with win-win solutions? And this requires savvy. This requires creativity. People need all the help they can get. So I don't Propose that this is necessarily easy. It also requires tremendous uh, business acumen and courage. I mean, it took—you know—it it took courage for Chris Hillman to say, "I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna do that." And he gave his two-week notice, hmm. and, and a couple days later, he was looking at samples in a microscope, and someone who had was angry at him for not taking the bribe poisoned his microscope.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: They put dispersion fluid on the oculars of his microscope. And fortunately, just before he put his eyes there, he realized it. And then he that's when he just quit and actually started his new company. <laughs> Heroism, courage. Yeah, I mean, what's the legacy you want to leave? You know, when you're on your deathbed. You want to look back and say, I actually stood up for something that will leave a better world for my children and for all humanity.
0: Wow, that's really exciting. Well, the book, again, is The Healing Organization. Michael, where can people find out more about your work and Raj's work and get their hands on your book?
1: Great, thank you, yes. So people can go to healingorganizations.com, which is the website that Raj and I set up together, and that's the place to go to take the Healing Oath. We we have it as a change.org petition, so you can sign the Healing Oath petition at HealingOrganizations.com.
0: So it's got an S in the end. The the book is The Healing Organization, singular, but the website's plural.
1: Correct. Okay. If people want to get more information directly about me, it's MichaelGelb.com, G-E-L-B. Raj Sisodia, I think it's Sasodia.com.
0: That's easy for you to say.
1: Yeah, it's it's, (laughs) it's, it's, (laughs) easy. If you just look up The Healing Organization, you'll get both of us Find out about Raj. Find out about me. Uh, find out about the book. Take the healing oath.
0: Yeah, terrific. Well, we'll put we'll put links to all that in our show notes for this episode. Michael Galb, it's been really interesting to talk about this topic. Uh, very just passionate. Um, thank you for for your work on this book, the work that you and Raj are doing. Thank you for helping us share. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you. All right, Engagers, we'll provide the information and links that Michael mentioned on our show notes for this episode, which you can find on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 197, as in episode 197. This is a production of Workforce Communication. We are a team of consultants and creatives using the power of communication to help organizations enhance the well-being and performance of their people. My colleagues and I partner with mid sized and large employers to attract top talent, fully engage employees, and achieve superior business results. In several areas including employer branding, talent management, wellness, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at WorkforceCommunication.com. Our thanks to Cecily Leahy, our producer, James Marlar, our sound engineer, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers.